Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. I was on vacation last week, which is why you had the two-part interview with Stephen Bancars on Monday and Wednesday. Then you had a replay episode, Rise of the Millennial Witches on Friday. And then you had a, another interview on Monday with Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. If you haven't listened to those podcast episodes yet, I encourage you to do so. Some of my favorite of all time. I just love listening to, talking to guests that are experts in a particular field. They gave me a lot of insight, and I know for a fact that they gave you a lot of insight as well because I got emails and messages and reposts on Instagram stories of all of you who listened to the podcast episodes, especially last week, the interview interviews with Stephen Bancars on The New Age. If you have not listened to those yet, I highly encourage you to do so. And just a little bit of encouragement to you guys as you're looking around and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this entire world is devolving into chaos. People are abandoning the objective truth of God's word and they are slipping into the anarchy that inevitably comes with postmodernism and moral relativism. All of that may be true. But as I shared on my Instagram story the other day, uh, God's work does not make headlines. God is working on hearts. He is softening hearts. He is calling people to himself. He is calling people to repentance. People's eyes are being opened. Uh, the eyes of their hearts, as Ephesians, I think, one eighteen says, are being enlightened. They are coming to know the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word in the midst of all of this. And that won't be reported on. It's not going to be trending on Twitter, but we can rest assured that not only is God still on his throne and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he is also actively working. He doesn't come in later just to clean up the mess. He doesn't stand back aghast and surprised at everything that's going on and saying, you know, I didn't see that coming. He is actively planning, actively uh, purposing, actively working in everything that is going on right now. And I was reminded of that in the messages and some of the emails that I received after people listened to the interview with Steve. Stephen Bancards, and also the episode I did a few months ago with Doreen Virtue, who also left the New Age the same way that Stephen Bancards did. And these messages of people saying, I did not realize that I was deceived. I did not realize that I was following New Age philosophy. I didn't realize that some of the beliefs and some of the so-called doctrines that I held on to actually weren't biblical doctrines, but were New Age doctrines. Or, hey, I thought that I was a Christian before I listened to these episodes, but now after listening to them and hearing the real gospel and hearing the difference between the New Age and the true uh, biblical gospel, I, uh, I realized that I was wrong that I was deceived and now I have seen the light by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. I have gotten a lot of messages like that and it's just a reminder that even though um, even though that is not going to uh, be headline news, that that is what is happening behind the scenes and we can praise God for that and we can ask God to help us uh, be a part of that and to be used by him to advance his kingdom and to share his gospel. And if he so chooses to do that, which if you are in Christ, he 
he he will choose to do that. We don't take credit for any of that. We simply thank him for graciously and mercifully using us as his vessels to spread his truth and his love. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. I might maybe I'll start posting some of these if with their permission, posting some of these messages that I receive if they are encouraging to you guys because I think like I said it's easy to get kind of uh, trapped in uh, trapped in a pit of despair, looking at everything that is going on. That's not what we're focusing on today. And I kind of got off on a tangent, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of encouragement to start out. I'm kind of going to do a little bit of rapid fire today because since I was on vacation last week, went to the beach with my family, I kind of checked out of everything and I didn't comment on a lot of the things that were going on. And I'm not going to be able to cover every single story that we missed last week, but I want to go through some of them and just give you kind of a quick analysis or at least a quick reaction to some of that. And then we are going to talk about what I call wrecking versus reckoning. So a reckoning with our history versus wrecking our history and what we as Christians are called to in the mindset that we should be taking on and a mindset that I think uh, can give us as Christians a lot of peace. So we're talking about coronavirus again. We stopped talking about coronavirus for a long time because it seemed like things were abating and especially when the protests started happening I think that's when a lot of people said oh, okay, the protests are happening and we don't see the media having the same reaction towards these protests and these riots as they were about people, say, going to the beach or wanting to go to the hair salon or go to work so they can feed their children or protest the draconian lockdowns. The media said all of those things were actually uh, racist and all of those things were irresponsible and immoral and you are complicit in murder if you are not actively a murderer yourself if you go out and do these things and you go out into the public and if hey you want to go to work we heard from a lot of people on the left and a lot of people in the media during those lockdowns if you are concerned about the economy if you're concerned about for example uh, the economic downturn driven uh, driven suicides or depression or child abuse or anything like that then you're just a grandma killer and you don't care about humanity at all and you you lack compassion and you just care about your 401k. That's what we were told. Uh, when people were saying, hey, I've got some concerns about uh, how these draconian lockdowns are actually going to affect people's mental and physical health and how they're going to affect the economy long term, which does affect real flesh and blood human beings and their livelihoods. We were told, no, you you can't be concerned with that at all uh, because that means that you just want people to die. And then we saw the protests where hundreds of thousands of people across the country went out and they protested um, against police brutality. That's what a lot of these people were protesting against. Of course, a lot of the rioters and looters did not have police brutality in mind. They didn't have any kind of injustice in mind. They uh, went out to do something that they simply wanted to do because they could do it. People acted lawlessly in some cases because they wanted to act lawlessly. It didn't have any correlation whatsoever with injustices that were going on. But you had people who were peacefully protesting protesting out in droves in the streets, um, peacefully protesting against police brutality. And I am all for that, by the way, whether we are in a pandemic or not, I believe that the First Amendment is absolute and that the government can't tell you or punish you for uh, exercising your First Amendment rights. That's exactly what the First Amendment is for. So 
I'm not blaming people who went out with masks or not, who went out and protested for the things that they believe in. It really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me what they were protesting, although we do know that they were protesting uh, police brutality. But even if they weren't, even if they were protesting something else, I believe that their First Amendment right is protected. Where I think a lot of Americans saw hypocrisy and a lot of Americans started taking the coronavirus less seriously was seeing the media reaction to that. Who didn't mention at all, by the way, uh, that coronavirus could possibly spread through these hundreds of thousands of people body to body in the streets or through uh, the rioting and the looting in which people were not wearing masks. In a lot of cases, some of them were wearing them to disguise their identity. But the media hailing these people as heroes and not mentioning at all that, hey, this is also dangerous for the spread of the coronavirus. I think that's when a lot of people said, hang on, uh, you told me that I couldn't go to church and that I was a complicit in murder for going to church. You told me that I couldn't go to work and provide for my family. You told me that if I wanted to open up my restaurant or go out to a restaurant, that I was irresponsible and immoral. And now all of these people are protesting in the street. Again, their right to do so. And the media doesn't mention at all that, hey, there are some concerns here with the spread of coronavirus. I think that's when a lot of people said, you know, you know what? This seems like a double standard and I'm not going to try to meet double standards because it's impossible. I'm going to read you some of the headlines um, about Uh, some of the headlines covering the protests and the rioting in correlation with the coronavirus. It's really amazing how the media decided to cover this. Um, Let's see. Protests in Seattle, says the Seattle Times and elsewhere, don't appear to be a driving coronavirus surge, researchers say. Uh, Cleveland.com. Did Cleveland's coronavirus surge start with the May 30th protest and riot? They say no. Um, And then we have from CNN, co-founder of Maryland group that protested for state to reopen test positive for coronavirus. So they wanted to make sure that you uh, reported on that or that they reported on that. COVID-19 says the Philadelphia Inquirer has not surged in cities with big protests, but it has in states that reopened early. Here are some. The Colorado Sun, Black Lives Matter protests may have slowed, may have slowed overall spread of coronavirus in Denver and other cities. CBS News, protests did not lead to spike in COVID-19 cases, study finds. Now, what's interesting is that they apparently were able to find researchers and scientists who said that masses of people together, many of them unmasked, did not spread the virus to each other. But people, for example, in bars and who went to restaurants and who went to beaches in Florida, they apparently all did spread the virus. So that's a very interesting scientific finding about this virus that apparently um, it is extremely aware of, it's extremely aware of of woke politics, that it apparently avoids people at uh, protests against police brutality, but it specifically targets people that go to restaurants and beaches. That's an amazing scientific finding. And also apparently it targets people at Trump rallies. Washington Post said this, With Trump leading the way, America's coronavirus failures exposed by record surge in new infections. So this is actually Trump's fault. So it's Trump's fault that there is another surge. uh, There's another surge in these new infections. 
despite the fact that still the highest number of cases are occurring in New York, New York City, and L.A. County. L.A. County is now the epicenter of all of this. There were protests and there were riots in L.A. County. That's not Trump country. That's certainly not led by Republicans. So I'm a little bit confused about that correlation. Politico said this, a new dilemma for Trump's team, preventing super spreader churches. So again, the problem is the churches, the Atlantic. Uh, This is the headline. This is Trump's plague now. So of course, this is being used as, um, as a political attack against Donald Trump. But I'm not saying that he shouldn't be held accountable for his leadership. Of course, he is the president of the United States. I think he could have done and said some things better in the beginning. But it's interesting how they're willing to absolve governors and mayors of blue states of their responsibility and put the surge in their states on Trump. But when it comes to places like Arizona or Texas or Florida, it's all the governor's fault. It's always Republicans' fault. And I think this is why a lot of people aren't taking the coronavirus seriously. And the media is saying, oh, it's Trump's fault. It's Fox News's fault that conservatives aren't taking this seriously. Maybe it's media malfeasance. Like maybe it's the media hypocrisy that it's so obvious that they're saying, okay, well, coronavirus is only spiking at churches. It's only spiking um, on on beaches in, in Florida. It's only spiking in red states. It's only spiking at Trump rallies when that's obviously not true. Like if you look at the map and you look at the coronavirus infection rates and hospitalizations, rates and death rates. Death rates, thankfully, are staying down as younger and younger people are getting infected. They're getting infected. They're getting sick for two or three days. They're not having to go to the hospital in most cases, and they're uh, certainly not dying. One positive that we are seeing from more and more people uh, testing positive for the coronavirus is that the death rate seems to be a lot lower than we thought it was. Right now, I think it's about 0.26%. Percent death rate, which of course, if anyone dies from the coronavirus, it's tragic. But now that more and more people are testing positive, uh, we are seeing that there is a, a lower death rate. But if you look at the map and you look at the statistics, it is simply not true that this is exclusively surging in red states. That's just not true. Again, if you look at California, if you look at DC, if you look at New York, the cases are still bad there. Yes, they might be going down in New York, but they're going down from uh, the the highest numbers in the nation. And it's funny also that uh, the media are, are praising Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, for how he handled this whole thing. When by any objective standard, how he has handled the coronavirus outbreak in New York has been an absolute travesty, like it's been a disaster. We talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, his office administered an executive, an executive decree, basically, that said, hey, if you are an elderly person that lives in a nursing home, if you go to the hospital for coronavirus, you have to go back to the nursing home before you're even better. So you have to go back to the nursing home as soon as possible. A lot of this has to do with uh, with Medicare reimbursements and the state being able to make as much money as possible because uh, Andrew Cuomo was in a budget hole before this whole thing. But uh, that was a disaster. Thousands and thousands of elderly people in these nursing homes died because of Andrew Cuomo's policies. Like by no objective standard whatsoever has New York done a good job with this at all. You can go back. I I think it was the podcast titled Little Tyrants Everywhere from several weeks ago now that talked about exactly why Andrew Cuomo and the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, have done such a terrible job and why their state and specifically 
specifically New York City, are seeing such high cases. And yet the media absolves them from any guilt, says that they're doing a great job, that they've just been handled really handed really unfair cards, but that they are doing the best job that they possibly that they possibly can. But Trump, when it comes to things that are really outside of his control at this point and outside of his jurisdiction, it is all his fault. And um, it's also Christian's fault for going to church. It's also people who want to work. It's their fault. It's people who protested the lockdowns. It's their fault. But it's not the blue state's fault. It's not blue governor's fault. It's not blue mayor's fault. It's not any Democratic politician's fault. It is not the protesters' fault. It's not the rioters' fault. It's not the looters' fault. It is only conservative's fault. And so if you want to go back to some kind of reasoning for why maybe a lot of conservatives aren't taking coronavirus as seriously as they should, it's because they see the hypocrisy and it looks political rather than practical. So it looks like there are political reasons behind the coverage and behind some of the hysteria in the media um, rather than just trying to objectively warn people about the dangers of a virus. There's also kind of this debate about masks right now. So you have some Democrats saying that the government should mandate masks, that if you don't wear a mask, then you're going to get fined. You have some people, I would say, mostly on the right saying, look, I'm I'm not wearing a mask. I'm very anti-mask. I'm not even going to wear a mask if a store asks me to. There are some, uh, there's some debate going on about the science of masks, whether masks actually work. And then you have people, I would say, mostly on the left, but some people on the right as well saying, wear your mask, usually with some kind of expletive in there. You're killing people. You're complicit in murder. And again, we hear this kind of rhetoric. If you don't wear masks, then you're racist because unfortunately, this virus is disproportionately affecting um, the African-American community and the minority communities in general. So if someone doesn't wear a mask, the logic goes they are complicit in uh, targeting or in murdering these minority communities. Now, let's just add some nuance to this conversation a little bit. You guys know I'm not in pursuit of nuance. I am in pursuit of the truth. And sometimes the truth is nuanced. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but let's talk about the debate on on masks really quickly. So I was in the beginning pro-mask before we heard Anthony Fauci and the Surgeon General say, please stop buying masks. They said, don't buy masks. Masks aren't going to do anything. They're not going to protect you. They're not going to protect anyone around you. Don't buy masks because, you know, the workers in the hospital need those masks and you are just making sure that they don't get the mask they need. And we actually heard from Anthony Fauci himself in an interview say that, hey, masks aren't going to affect, uh, aren't going to be effective. They might maybe prevent large droplets from, you know, spraying out of your mouth or from, you know, getting onto your mouth but it's really not going to help you that much. Now, in the beginning, I remember thinking that this logic was faulty. Like we bought masks even when they were like, don't buy any masks. Actually, we already had masks because as I've said many times, I am already a germaphobe year round. So I was wearing a mask on planes during flu season. And again, I don't know if it was totally effective, but it made me feel better. Um, and so I thought it was weird that they were saying don't wear masks because they were also saying that it can be spread through small and large droplets. So I 
I'm thinking, well, if I cough or I sneeze or I talk or whatever I'm doing in public and a droplet gets out, then it gets on a surface and someone touches that surface, they could get sick and vice versa for other people. So I didn't really understand the logic of not wearing a mask or especially encouraging people not to wear masks. And so I continued to wear a mask, but they said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And a lot of people said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to. And then all of the sudden, it seemed like it changed and said, oh, no, no, you have to wear a mask. Not just, okay, actually, we were wrong about the science in the first place. We didn't really understand how the virus worked. But now we understand that masks are really going to help a lot more than we thought that they would. Even a bandana, even a cloth mask, whatever it is just wear a mask because we were a little bit wrong and here's why. It was all of a sudden, if you don't wear a mask, you're a murderer. And if you don't wear a mask, you're irresponsible and you're evil and you're immoral and all of these things. And so you can't wonder why people who remember what we were told just a couple months ago, dogmatically told not to wear masks, you can't you can't wonder why people are taking a step back and saying, hang on just a second, what changed? Can someone explain to me what changed? Why were you so uh, so ardent about us not wearing masks and now you're so ardent about us having to wear masks? So of course, people are, are skeptical about this. Now, let me tell you my take on the masks. I do not believe that there should be a government mandate about, uh, about the masks. I don't believe that you should be fined if you don't wear a mask. But I think if a business asks you to wear a mask and you are voluntarily entering that business, then you should comply with that business's regulations. I don't really understand any kind of argument that would say, no, a business shouldn't shouldn't ask us to do that. I mean, you might think a business shouldn't ask you to do that, but you don't have to go into that store. Like you can take your business elsewhere to a business that says you don't have to wear a mask, whatever. But I think businesses are, they're not being tyrannical. They're simply trying to do everything they can to mitigate the risk for people that are inside their stores. And again, you can disagree on the science. You can say, okay, masks are actually bad. You can go to a store that believes that. You can buy from a company who believes that masks are bad. But for all the grocery stores, all the retail stores, the restaurants, whatever, that are saying, you know, we think that masks are going to help at least a, a little bit, and we would like to help as much as we can stop the spread of this virus, then I, I don't see any reason not to comply with that or to complain about that. I understand some people have a medical reason that they, you know, they don't want to wear a mask or maybe they're uncomfortable wearing a mask. Okay, that's fine. Maybe there is an exception for you, or maybe, again, you go to a place that doesn't require a mask. But masks in and of themselves and requirements by private companies to wear masks in and of themselves are, are not tyrannical. They're not dictatorial. They're not wrong. Um, I, I would wear a mask in any place that asked me to wear a mask. I went in a place the other day and they actually provided me with a disposable mask. I had one in my purse anyway, but I thought that that was very kind. And th there's no reason to me um, to not wear one if it is required by the store that you're going into or if you're in a place where, you know, everyone around you is made more comfortable by you wearing one. I don't think that there is any danger to that. Again, I understand that there are, you know, some people who are pointing to studies that say, actually, it is bad for you to wear a mask and you can get reinfected. I, 
I don't I don't know about that. There's competing science, but I am not in principle against masks, and I'm certainly not in principle against uh, against companies requiring people to wear masks. Okay, we talked about that a lot more than I thought that we were going to, but I've got a few more things I want to talk about. But but before we get into that, I do want to tell you guys about Simply Safe, one of my favorite sponsors. So the number one sign of a bad home security system is a home security system that is so complicated, so expensive that you never want to use it. The contract is confusing. And so uh, you just keep on putting it off and you don't have any home security system because you don't want to deal with the headache. Well, that is why Simply Safe exists. They believe that simple is safer and it's exactly why Simply Safe is the home security for right now when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your home 24 7. Order online with the click of a button, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. No technician or salesperson has to come and disrupt your house. You do it all yourself. Uh, You don't need to pay any outrageous monthly fees or sign a two-year contract. It really is so easy. I like very simple things. I like things that are not complicated, not overly intricate. And so Simply Safe was uh, just the perfect fit for our family. And it really has been so effective in making us feel secure and keeping our house secure. Uh, Simply Safe was named best overall home security of 2020 by US News and World Report. Their 24-7 professional monitoring and emergency dispatch starts at 50 cents a day. Head to simplysafe.com slash alley. That's simply with an I at the end. So simplysafe.com slash Allie and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee that simplysafe.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E, to make sure they know that our show sent you. Okay, one more thing that I wanted to say about the coronavirus. So there's this narrative that's going on in the media that it's red states that are doing really badly because they reopened and blue states that are doing really well because they stayed closed. That's obviously not true. Look at L.A., look at New York, look at D.C., look at all of these places that have high rates. I won't say that they have rising rates in all of these places. They do in L.A., but maybe not as much in New York. But they still have a high number of cases, a high positive positivity rate, and in some cases, a high hospitalization rate. But if you look at places like uh, Texas and Florida, Texas has upped its testing. Florida has upped its testing. New York has stopped testing as many people. And so we don't actually know if the data there is comparable to Texas and Florida. Now, I don't think the surge can be solely attributed to the rise in testing in Texas and Florida, but that certainly has something to do with it. And the seeming plateau or the decrease that's happening in New York um, at least has something to do with the fact that they are, according to themselves, they are not testing as many people. So I just want to point that out as well. It's always important to go beyond the headlines. So now I want to talk about something that I mentioned at the beginning, wrecking versus reckoning. So wrecking our history versus reckoning our history. All of you reckoning with our history. Um, All of you who have been watching the news have noticed that there is a lot of chaos going on. So not only are Confederate statues coming down, but statues of uh, of Union heroes, statues of Thomas Jefferson. Um, They are defacing statues of George Washington. There are even abolitionists. Uh, Their statues are being uh, taken down and desecrated. 
And this has something to do. There are some people who are doing this because they don't want to see monuments that are honoring Confederate soldiers. They don't want to see monuments that are um, honoring a part of our history that we should be ashamed of. And I do think that there is an argument to be made for that, that taking down these Confederate statues is not about erasing history. There are ways that you can learn about history and learn about the Confederacy, learn about Robert E. Lee without paying homage to them, without honoring them with a monument. Absolutely. The problem is how these are being, uh, how these are being taken down and how this is being done. It's being taken down by angry mobs who are indiscriminate in their anger, by the way, like I said, they're uh, taking down uh, statues of Grant, for example. They're taking down or defacing statues of the founders, statues of abolitionists. This is a lot more to do for some people, not all, but for some people about the um, about the degradation and the demolition of Western civilization much more than it is about the demolition of white supremacy. Again, I think there is an argument to be made for taking taking down Confederate statues, but when it's done by the mob rather than done democratically, why don't we ask the uh, people in these communities to take a vote? Like, why don't we do this in a way that is civilized? Why don't we do this in a way that involves conversation and debate and um, some kind of deliberation to take these statues down in the communities where they reside? Why are we allowing, why are city officials, why is law enforcement allowing these mobs to vandalize, to desecrate? and to take down these statues. Again, I'm not just talking about Confederate statues. I'm talking about uh, statues of of, uh, George Washington, of Thomas Jefferson, of Francis Scott Key, of abolitionists, of Ulysses S. Grant. Why aren't why aren't authorities stepping in saying, hey, you're not going to do this. And if the city, if if they want to take it to a vote, if they want to have some kind of deliberation and debate and discussion and decision making about this, then they should absolutely do this. I do think that it is time for us to have a, a reckoning with parts of our past when it comes to how we honor people in the past as heroes rather than uh, pointing to them like, for example, Robert E. Lee and saying, OK, you know, he was on the wrong side of history. He was on the wrong side of the story and learned the good and the bad and the ugly without honoring him with a monument. But when we allow the mob to rule and when we allow them to tyrannically decide which monuments get to stay up and which monuments get to go down, well, then we lose a very important part of our democracy and our democratic process. And it reminds me of when people say democratic socialism. This is how democratic socialism would play out. Um, You put the word democracy in front of it or you put the word democratic in front of it and it is still led tyrannically because socialism is by nature tyrannical. Uh, That reminds me of what's going on right now. They're talking about freedom. They're talking about democracy. They're talking about taking these statues down in the name of justice. But what they're doing is not just and it's not democratic and it is not about personal liberty or freedom at all. It is uh, simply about mob rule. It is simply about indiscriminate 
anger, not just against racism, which is, of course, justified anger, but against Western civilization in general. And that is what I mean by wrecking our history versus reckoning with our history. I think it's important to reckon with our history, to talk about the good and the bad and the ugly of our past, of the past of the Christian church, of the past of the South, of the past of America in general. I think we should look at examine and learn from the bad parts of our history, from slavery to Jim Crow, Japanese internment camps, Chinese railroads, any kind of um, systemic, so legal, institutionalized injustice that was allowed to persist uh, anytime the church did not step up and say something about injustice. I think that we should look at all of that. We should look at injustices that are happening right now. You guys know that I care about that. We talk about abortion very often on this podcast that is an example of a of a grievous injustice that has been able to persist for decades longer than that uh, in this country and is still prevalent today so I believe that we should have a reckoning with all of these things that we should have conversations about them that we should talk about them that we should learn from them and I don't have a problem if a university decides you know we're not going to name this uh, building after Woodrow Wilson because of the views that he held and the views that he propagated or we're not going to honor this particular person because of, you know, because of the decisions they made or the philosophies they represented. I I think that's fine. If there is deliberation and there are conversations about that, culture does change. Um, The moral landscape of a country does change the things that we didn't used to see as problems and atrocities. We see as problems and atrocities today. That's also my hope, by the way, about abortion, that one day we will look back and realize the way we do today about slavery, that it was uh, the the worst, uh, one of the worst moral travesties that we ever allowed to persist in this country. And that's okay. Like, I believe that it's okay for culture to change. It's okay for us to have conversations. What is not okay is allowing uh, the mob to indiscriminately take down institutions and uh, take down ideas and take down monuments and statues without any deliberation of the public, without uh, any uh, agreement of the community. That is not what democracy is about. And it's really interesting the parallels between what's going on right now and some of what uh, went on in Mao Zedong's China with getting rid of the four olds, so the cultural revolution that tried to get rid of old traditions, old cultures, old ideas, and do the great leap forward, which was uh, Mao's leap into communism, which of course killed tens of millions of people. They also tried to erase history in in some kind of way. And there are some similarities between what the mob wants to do um, and what Mao Zedong did and really what a lot of communist countries did in trying to get rid of history. I mean, that's what 1984 is about. That's what Orwell is talking about when he talks about the memory hole, when he talks about not knowing if they were warring against East Asia or Yuri the day before because the party controlled history. Let me see if I can get this quote right. He who controls they or he who controls the present controls the past. He who controls the past controls the future. That's not right. It's something along those lines though. I think it's well, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to think about it because I'll get all twisted and I won't remember what it is, but I'll correct it. Uh, I'll correct it maybe in the description. But there are some similarities between the radicals on the left who do genuinely want to not just have a conversation about uh, reckoning with our history, but obliterate our history altogether, obliterate our foundation. 
and want to get rid of things like the national anthem, probably want to get rid of the American flag. The American flag is very offensive to them. Of course, want to get rid of capitalism, want to get rid of the Constitution, want to get rid of the founders. Um, and people, uh, people in the 20th century who did the same thing in the Soviet Union, in Eastern Germany, uh, in North Korea, they do the same thing to this day in Mao Zedong's China, in Cuba, in Venezuela. Uh, all of this is uh, very eerily similar to the things that were going on there. Again, that is what I would call wreckage of our history. I think that we can have a healthy reckoning with our history where we actually have conversations about who we should memorialize, who we should honor, how we should learn from our history. And here's what I, here's what I kind of want to end with, is that I think the majority of people agree on that. I think that there, the, the majority of people want to have a conversation about reform. Um, for example, a reform in the in the police or uh, want to talk about the kind of heroes that we honor, want to talk about our education system, want to talk about some of the problems that are plaguing poor and minority communities. I think that there are more people who love America, who care about America, who can appreciate the good things that America has not just um, brought us, but has brought the entire world for all of her history. And we just want to be better. We want to make sure that we are living out the uh, living out to the fullest our ideals, that all men were created equal by their creator and were endowed with certain inalienable rights, among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want liberty and justice for all. I think there are a lot of people who agree on that. We might disagree on policy. We might have disagreements on what that looks like, but we are willing to have a debate. We're willing to have a discussion. I think that there is a small minority of people on the left who do want to tear down everything that America has ever stood for. They see America as an inherently evil, racist, white supremacist, imperialist nation with nothing good in it, who has never accomplished anything good. And they actually ascribe every bad thing that has ever gone on in the world to America and to the founding of America and even to our founding documents and the founding fathers. And that is just ahistorical nonsense. That is called wreckage of our history, not reckoning with our history. The fact of the matter is every time, and I've said this before on the podcast, every time we move closer to the ideal stated in, for example, the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, that we're given inherent rights that cannot be taken away from us because they were endowed to us by a creator that is higher than the government. Every time we have moved closer to manifesting those ideals, things have moved forward. It is not in uh, erasing our founding principles that we are going to make progress. It is not going to be in rewriting our constitution or rewriting the Declaration of Independence that we are going to make progress. It is going to be more fully and more truthfully, more accurately living out the very good ideals upon which this nation was founded. Every time we have done that, every time we have taken a step closer to those founding ideals, good things have happened. It's been when we have stepped away from that when we have tried to warp that, when we have tried to uh, circumvent that, get around those uh, those principles that all men are created equal and therefore are endowed uh, the same exact rights by a sovereign creator. It's when we have tried to ignore that, that things have gone south. That is how we got slavery. Like that is how we get abortion. That is how we got Jim Crow. That is how we get any injustice when we ignore 
the ideals on which this country was founded. So uh, we don't need a revolution. We need to go back to what our constitutional, what our founding principles are. And we need to debate and discuss and talk about how to better live those out, both in policy and individually, culturally, socially, all of that. So the people who want to get rid of everything that America has ever stood for, they have unfortunately been indoctrinated and brainwashed by all of these documentaries and professors that are emotionally appealing but are factually just wrong, and they aren't able to take a look at all of the good that America has accomplished and the objectively good ideals upon which uh, we were founded. The fact of the matter is, is that history is very complex. People, individuals are very complex. All of our heroes are flawed, by the way. Every single political hero that we have, every single historical um, hero that we have, they're all flawed. We don't honor people for their flaws. We honor people for the good that they attributed. We honor people uh, for the ideas that they have. That doesn't mean that everyone has to be memorialized. That doesn't mean that everyone has to have a statue in their name. I think that, again, we decide, we weigh the good and the bad, and we say, okay, yes, this person contributed more good than they did bad, and so maybe we're going to honor them, or this person stood for something that was so bad that even the good that they did, uh, it, it doesn't matter. We don't need to memorialize them at all, and I think that's an important conversation to have, and I would say, Confederate soldiers and Confederate heroes, so-called heroes, fall into the category of not needing to be memorialized and not needing to be honored by way of of monuments. But the fact of the matter is, is that yes, were the founders flawed? Of course they were, because they were they were slave owners and they were just sinners in general, like all of us were. And so they had lots of different flaws. But did they also stand, at least theoretically, at least um, ideologically, for liberty and for equality? And did their ideas build the best and most prosperous and most equitable nation in the world, in the history of the world? Yes, they did. And if we look at any history or any historical figure who has done anything good ever, they are going to have very serious flaws. And if we are going to rename everything um, because of flaws that people had or because of sins they're committed, then we are not going to have anything named after anyone. We might as well just name everything after animals or inanimate objects if we want to be safe. But there's probably something problematic in that too. Um, I think that what the majority of Americans need to do is ignore the illogical, nonsensical outrage mob that is demanding that we be divided because divisiveness contributes to um, the advancement of their Marxist revolution. Like, what if there are more of us who agree on all of these issues than disagree? Like, what if we what if we agree on the majority of uh, the majority components of some of these issues that we're debating, like police brutality, like uh, so-called racial reconciliation, like injustice, like what if we agree, the majority of us, um, on a, a lot of the components of these issues? What if we are willing to have conversations peacefully and democratically and locally about replacing Confederate flags and monuments? What if the people who want to tear down not just Confederate statues, but all statues that represent the United States, Grant, Abraham Lincoln, abolitionists, are just a really, really small minority? What if Black Lives Matter Marxists don't represent most people that they say that they represent? Which, by the way, they did say in a video um, that they are trained Marxists. So for everyone who said, oh, you're so wrong for Lincoln, linking that organization to Marxism, well, they're 
proud Marxists. They talk about being Marxists. What if most black people uh, don't believe in getting rid of the police? What if most black people don't care about Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben or an episode of of Golden Girls where they're wearing uh, mud face masks? If you didn't know, the episode of Golden Girls was taken down, even though it had nothing to do with blackface. Like, what if most people in the country, black, white, whatever, that they don't actually care about those things? They're not actually offended by those things, that it's actually much deeper problems that we're trying to reconcile and rectify. What if most Democrats and leftists aren't actually Marxist revolutionaries? What if most people on the left aren't Antifa? Like, they don't hate the police. They don't believe in mob justice. They don't want to tear down all American institutions. Now, I do think that a lot of people on the left are supportive or at least complicit in the anarchy. But what if most of them aren't down with the radicalism and the anarchy coming from the far left? What if this outrage mob offended by everything, tearing everything down with no plans for rebuilding, ruining lives, livelihoods, reputations without any regard whatsoever for what's right or fair or sustainable or good is a tiny portion of the American population whose power is only as great as we allow it to be? Like, what if we just ignored them? Like, what if they're just a group, a tiny group of wimpy communists who would shrink into oblivion if we let them, who really actually only get stronger every time we capitulate to them, who gain strength every time someone apologizes, for example, for something that they're not really sorry for, every time someone loses a job for expressing an opinion, every time a business or an organization issues a so-called statement about something they did that was allegedly problematic but actually isn't problematic at all. Every time a a TV series or a movie is pulled off air for supposedly being politically incorrect and having politically incorrect themes that no one is actually offended by. Uh, Maybe they're empowered every time someone is censored for an unpopular view, every time someone's life is ruined for making a mistake or being in uh, a bad or uncomfortable situation where they reacted wrongly. Every time people virtue signal in a way that masquerades as goodness, but actually is just a way to cause more division. So what if the outrage mob has power simply because we allow them to have power, simply because we keep capitulating to them, simply because we are too scared to say, no, I'm not playing by your rules. I'm not going to apologize for that. What if organizations just stopped issuing these unnecessary statements? People stopped apologizing things uh, for things that they're not sorry for. Uh, If companies stopped firing people for their political views or based on uh, unsubstantiated allegations, if social media platforms stopped kicking people off their site just for having the wrong opinions, like if advertisers just ignored the calls, ignored the demands of the perpetually offended mob of institutions and buildings, stopped renaming things like that's going to solve anyone's problems. Uh, if law enforcement and politicians just said, no, you're, you're not going to tear down or vandalize the statue. You're not going to burn down this building. You're not going to illegally occupy this zone. You're not going to threaten the safety of lives and livelihoods of law-abiding citizens just because you're mad, just because you want to. Like, what if we stopped explaining away or minimizing or saying sorry for our sincerely held beliefs because a bunch of nitwits born in 2002 who were radicalized by their gender theory professor last year uh, because they want capitalism and everything that America is founded on to die. Like, what if we just stopped capitulating to them? What if the Marxists are actually the minority and we just ignored that silliness and the rest of us who are saying got together to have productive dialogue and debates about these issues that are important debates about the confederate statues to have debates about how we honor and learn from our history debates uh, about uh, choosing between wrecking our history and reckoning with our history and rectifying
rectifying some of the mistakes uh, that we have made and seeking justice in a way that's true. Like, we should talk about what what do words actually mean? Like, what is justice? What does justice really look like? What does rectifying our mistakes really look like? What does reckoning with our history really look like? Can we do that without starting a revolution that wants to wreck all of the good principles and the good institutions upon which America was founded? Can we do that? Like, can we have a dialogue between those of us who not just don't agree necessarily on politics, but want to be able to have sane conversations. Is that possible? I think it's possible if we start ignoring the fringes who are predominantly leftists, I would say. Maybe there are some on the far right too, but predominantly leftists who are now, even though they're a small minority, they are controlling the majority of the dialogue. They're controlling what companies do. They're controlling what city councils and what public officials do and don't do. Uh, they are controlling now law enforcement in a lot of cases cases. What if we just ignored them? What if we just ignored them and the rest of us who are saying actually had conversations about the things that matter in order to make things better? I want to make things better. I think you want to make things better, whether you're on the left or the right. Um, I believe you when you say that you care about justice, when you care about truth, that you care about making sure that we have uh, the fairest country that we possibly can, that society provides, you know, that we have opportunities equally for people of all races in all socioeconomic classes in all backgrounds. I believe you. I think we have different perspectives, probably, if you're on the left side of the aisle on what those problems are and how we actually fix them. But I want to have, you know, let's have a debate about that. Let's talk about the things that are actually going to make things better. But stoking the flames of division to perpetuate a revolution that seeks to wreck and tear down the very good parts of America that have made America what it is, that's not helping anyone. It's not helping anyone. Um, so on Friday, we are going to talk more about what those good founding principles are. We're going to talk about uh, both the good and the bad in America and why 4th of July is something that we should all be honoring. We should all be celebrating. We should all uh, be happy about. I think that we're unfortunately going to be seeing riots and protests on the 4th of July, but no matter what our background is, no matter what our race is, what our gender is, why we should be celebrating the 4th of July as Americans. And so we're going to talk about that more on Friday, and I'm excited about that. You guys know how much I love the 4th of July. So I will be back here on Friday for that, and I will see you guys then. 